0: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by Minima.Global and Circle. This is the hash podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network.
1: Hello, welcome to Thursday's edition of the hash or Friday light, as we like to call it. I'm joined today by Coindesk's chief insights columnist, David Z. Morris, and Coindesk's head of magazine, Ben Schiller. Welcome to the show today. I got the first story. We are talking about more layoffs, just like yesterday. Not a happy way to start off our Thursday, but nonetheless, the talk of the town right now. Stripe has laid off about 1,000 employees after downgrading its future outlook, saying that, hey, maybe this internet business is a little bit slower than we thought it was going to be. This follows on reporting from Bloomberg that Twitter is also slashing about 50% of its workforce as on reporting from Bloomberg. Nothing yet from Twitter on the story. And then lastly, for Dapper Labs, also laying off about 22% of its workforce, saying that crypto winter is here. So a lot of layoffs to start off Thursday, guys. Not great news. Ben, I want to throw this one over to you. We talked about it, yes, earlier on the show this week. Sort of just the scene for tech right now, we're going into recession, possibly, or at least a slowdown in tech, so it makes sense to have some sort of layoffs, but curious to get your thoughts on these three organizations shedding some workers.
2: Definitely. I mean, there's a a general sentiment going around, but I think there's slightly different stories going on here. I mean, Twitter is obviously linked to the massive acquisition price, and uh, Elon Musk is looking to cut costs, it seems. Getting rid of half of the uh, workforce is is a good way to do that, I, I guess even though terrible for the employees, obviously, uh, with, with Dapper Labs, that's more linked to a an NFT mania ending. I mean, it, it's interesting to compare the sales volume of NBA uh, Top Shot, which was uh, kind of a, the big mainstream moment for NFTs back in uh, uh, last year in 2021. At the height of that boom in, in, 20, in, uh, in February, they were seeing vol- volumes over 200 million dollars per month and now that volume is uh, is less than 3 million this month so or last month so you can really see uh, you know the mania cratering out and i think that's the reason behind this layoffs uh, or spate of layoffs in in that in that case
3: yeah i think the point about the differences between these different moves is important um, and, and also just to put it in larger context you know we we have been waiting for a recession and we're seeing these layoffs in tech But the layoffs in tech are pretty specific and don't necessarily feed into the larger recession narrative, which just honestly hasn't emerged. We don't have a a jobs report that is showing wide losses. These are very specific to tech. Twitter, in particular, just doesn't fit into anything. It's all about Elon paying too much for the company. And and so uh, Dapper, yeah, it's cyclical. So, you know, it's, it's tempting to put these things into a bigger narrative, but I'm not really sure there is one. I mean, this is very tech specific. I will say Stripe cutting jobs in particular is scary. Stripe is a very widespread payments infrastructure company. And, you know, we, we would have to dig into the numbers more, but um, it's very interesting to see them cut because they don't, they're not, you know, they're not selling NFTs, <laughs> they're selling point of sale. And so uh, that's that's a totally different story. And that one is a little bit worrying. But tech layoffs, we're strange animals over here. We're not even necessarily part of everything else that's going on.
1: Definitely. I would completely One agree little with that. note of pushback I might throw back at you, David, if I can, is Facebook and a lot of these other larger tech companies that are specifically focused on social media did have a lot of layoffs at the beginning of the year, right? There's been layoffs in a few different sectors within social media and so to my mind's eye, I, I don't think that happened in Twitter because there was like this price for Twitter that was floating over their head for the last six months. They knew how much they were going to be bought for. Why would the Twitter management at that point start laying people off? are just going to let the, the new guard come in and, and sweep everyone out. And I think there was going to be some sort of layoffs for Twitter at some point just because it's happening all point. across tech. So that would be like my only slight note of pushback. But I definitely agree. You know, there's, it's tech, it's a little bit separate from the rest of the ecosystem. And then even within that, you have different buckets, right? Crypto is very different from Stripe, but we're all sort of sailing in the, in the same sea together. But we can leave that story where it's at unless we have anything else to grab on it.
0: So here's a big question. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second, it's not convenience, and it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning Minima every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin.
1: David, I want to throw the story over to you for some interesting stuff from the BBC.
3: Yes. So this is an old story that just continues to give us gifts. Um, For those who aren't familiar, OneCoin was a pyramid scheme that presented itself as a crypto. Currency. It it was not a cryptocurrency. There was no blockchain. It didn't exist. But this launched all the way back in 2014. At least the the company, the coin, I think, launched maybe the the next year or the offering. But we have from Jamie Bartlett, the BBC, new reporting this year, following up on Ruja Ignatova, the, the founder and sort of figurehead of OneCoin, who has been on the run to unknown international locations for going on five years now. And Bartlett has uncovered some new stuff, very interesting connections, potentially between Rusia and the Bulgarian government. Um, and for me, what this brings up is, and also the governments of the UAE, what this brings up to me is just that pyramid schemes have gotten so huge that governments are getting involved. <laughs> and uh, this is not necessarily the official position of the Bulgarian government, but it's elements within it who have decided that, that this is actually somebody they need to defend rather than send to jail. So, um, it's very troubling and I think speaks to probably a lot of other stuff going on that we don't have the same visibility into. But uh, what does this say about, I guess, current scams? Is, is one question that we can ask. Ben, what do you think? Are, these, are, are governments protecting Doquan right now?
2: <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I, I do think this is a story that has everything. It's kind of James Bond plus crypto. There's uh, rumors that she uh, is engaged in massive plastic surgery to change her appearance to, to hide away in Bulgaria. And actually, we had Bartlett on a podcast uh, a few months ago, and he said very much this. It was still rumored at the time that she was being helped out by the Secret Service of Bulgaria or hidden elements within the deep state of Bulgaria. And that's really the only way she could have evaded uh, detection and prosecution and uh, capture for so long, because most of her co-conspirators uh, have definitely been uh, found out and, and locked up. So that there must be something different with her. I think this is a fun story. I mean, maybe we shouldn't sort of revel in it too much because there were a lot of uh, uh, victims here, but this is kind of a classic crypto scam and it's kind of uh, James Bond plus crypto plus uh, plus, uh, no blockchain. Uh, So it's kind of fascinating.
1: (laughs) Will? Yeah, it's definitely definitely a very interesting story for a few different reasons. And one thing I like that you bring up within your article about this, David, is the fact that we often forget about yesterday's crypto scams because we're also focused on Today's crypto scams, the people who are being actively hurt within the ecosystem. Crypto is rife with scams. Uh, There's some new reporting on the amount of token pairs on Uniswap that were outright scams. And you know, it's a high percentage, a high double uh, figure percentage. Not really shocking for anyone who's in the industry who knows how easy it is to spin up an ERC-20 token and put it onto a decentralized exchange. It's not that hard to do that. Just get a social following and you can make some money doing it if you have a technical know-how. And if you go back into crypto's history books, there are a lot of these scams. They were harder to do at the time because there wasn't a decentralized platform like Ethereum where you could spin up tokens. But there was ways to do that. You could still just copy and paste the Bitcoin protocol, make a few tweaks, add some marketing to it and go to whatever different, different places across the globe and market your new coin. One coin was one of those scams I'm that really to took off, the, right? One of the coins that you described, right? But uh, I'll refrain. <laughs> <laughs> it's L, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of those coins out there. And I, I think it's sad that we forget about them. So I like that the BBC brought this back. I like that we're talking about it on the hash and that you wrote an article about it because these scams, they still exist. And now that we know that, you know, there's government agencies involved, uh, two different governments involved with this. And that makes you wonder about power and it makes you wonder about money and how fast money can change people's decisions on these things. The fact that tokens are so liquid Oftentimes, it's easy to get money in and out. It's so easy to transfer money to people. That makes it rife for abuse of power. And I think we'll see more of this going on Mm -hmm. in the future, especially after this 2021 bull pump. David, I want to throw it back to you, get some more insights from you.
3: Yeah, just to clarify one thing, um, it's not government agencies per se, but individual actors who aren't necessarily, you know, fulfilling the official mandates of their governments, but who are sort of perhaps working around and leaking stuff and things like that. Um, the other point that I would make about this, which I think is really important and does connect to the present, is it's not just these government actors. Um, there are also a lot of indications that this particular scammer was linked up with organized crime and, and really dangerous people. Um, and we've seen that, or at least we've heard hints of that recently. There was some speculation that Three Arrows Capital might have been taking um, capital from uh, unsavory people. And that does seem to happen quite a bit in crypto, again, because either A, it's stuff that's on the edges of the law, or B, it's stuff that's an outright scam and people have figured out a way to extract money. Um, So be careful out there. I mean, and, and this isn't necessarily how you set it up at the first, at the start, people might approach you you, you know, you could have partners who want to get involved and they're not necessarily the best people. Ben, you, you had something else to add.
2: Well, I just wanted to kind of uh, make a note about journalism and uh, about these investigations, because, I mean, this happened a long time ago in 2014. And there's a temptation, I think, with so many projects, so many scams, so many, you know, misadventures in this industry to kind of forget about it and say it doesn't matter. It's all sort of deep history. Um, but I think it is important to go back and, and kind of find these people and bring them to justice and, and, and to prove that it's, that it's really uh, a kind of a cycle of accountability here. Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. uh, people get away with these things and we forget about these, uh, these, these stories. And, and there were a lot of victims here and they should be uh, uh, made whole somehow, at least in a sort of accountable sense. So that's what I wanted to say.
3: Yes. <laughs> and before we um, transition, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, producers, I'm, I'm not getting any cues from you if you're talking to me. Um, we are, in fact, carrying this forward um, under the Coindesk umbrella, and we, um, we are launching a new podcast, so this is the first we've discussed it publicly, uh, that I'll be writing and hosting, called Crypto Crooks. Um, we are hoping that we'll be out in early December, and we will be going back and visiting some of these older stories, uh, similar to the way that, that Jamie Bartlett and the BBC did, so we're very excited about that. Um, and I believe Ben has our next story.
2: Yes, uh, this is a story about Meta, which uh, previously was known as Facebook. Uh, it's going to allow minting and selling of NFTs on its Instagram property. Uh, and this is a very big, important story. I mean, it's something that they've uh, talked about already, but they're putting new details on it. Uh, and this is an integration with Polygon, which will allow you to uh, sell them on Insta or off, off platform. And you're also going to be able to integrate NFTs that you've created on other blockchains like Flow and Solana and bring them onto the Instagram system. So I think what's interesting here is this is part of a trend of these mega platforms, these big Web2 companies really getting into the, what they call the, uh, the creator economy, this idea that, um, you know, us as users of the Internet should be able to create things on these platforms and then monetize them and store them and to sell them and really do what, what we want with them. And obviously, these platforms have been criticized for, for many years and really gave birth to Web3 um, because because this idea that they were basically taking our data, taking our creativity and hoarding it and selling it and passing the profits to their shareholders. And now, uh, at least, uh, we're going to get some of that back uh, to, to, these, um, to, to the users. And I think what's interesting also is that while we're in the midst of, kind of crypto winter and uh, some of these NFT projects, for instance, are losing steam, you're seeing kind of a sort of countervailing trend of these mega Web 2 platforms really kind of getting into the game and really putting out uh, these announcements. And this is one of the many that we've seen recently, not just with Instagram and Facebook, but with uh, TikTok, um, with Alphabet, and, and also, I guess, with, with Twitter as well. And I think, um, you know, over the next few months, I think that's going to be one of the big stories we're going to be following about how these kind of big Web 2 properties are really getting into the game. So I think that's going to kind of sustain us in terms of uh, storylines going forward.
1: Yeah, I'll snag it first if I can. Two interesting things for me out of this. One, the fact that they're using Polygon, which is an L2. Actually, there's a few different things that Polygon does. But for an L2, basically the ability to build on top of Ethereum, have more transactions. And Meta would work with an L2 because they're going to need that, right? How many users do they have? Well, up into the billions across all their different platforms. So they're going to need something that's super scalable. Ethereum is more and more becoming just infrastructure, just a base layer, sort of boring, actually. And these new L2 projects building on top of Ethereum, that's where the show is going to be. That's where all the fun is going to be. That's where the NFTs will be. The artists will live. The creators will live. will be on top of these new chains that are plugged into the Ethereum ecosystem. The second part I want to bring up, and this is completely different from the tech side of things, is what Polygon is. Formerly known as Matic, Polygon is actually built by two Indian co-founders. And I think that's a great point to highlight here is that a lot of the technology is built in crypto right now. It's not coming out of silicon valley it's global and it's moving all over the world these two co-founders again from india that don't have a lot of that in silicon valley like we don't have a lot of those stories of people from coming from across the globe building a project that is selected by Meta Mm. to run a whole new division a whole new revenue generation operation for them and that's the power of crypto that's the power of decentralized economies that crypto enables anyone with code anyone with a laptop can plug into this economy And start churning up new tokens, churning up new ideas, and start making valuable products on behalf of others. Dave, I'll throw it over to you.
3: Yeah, there's there's a lot to say here. One, I think, just take a step back. I think there's a little bit of a learning opportunity here as far as crypto economics and investing. So the fact that uh, Facebook and Instagram are going to be using uh, this particular chain means that that will generate volume on the chain, right? The NFTs are stored on the chain. The transactions. You have to pay for the block space to fulfill those transactions. And so when you see a deal like this, that's a, that's a fundamental driver of value for a network like Polygon. And we have seen uh, something like a 12% run up over the last 24 hours in the price of that token because there's gonna be more demand for block space on that network. So just to put that out there, that's just kind of one way, uh, fundamental way to look at valuations for projects is just demand for block space, demand for throughput activity. Um, The other thing that I'll note is I wonder about um, Meta's ability to roll this out in a way that's going to be really effective. Because we saw, um, I think, over the last month, a ton of really positive news from Reddit over their digital collectibles effort, which are NFTs. But one of the things that was widely noted is they didn't discuss them as NFTs. They didn't use that terminology. um, And they got a lot of people into wallets and into owning digital collectibles without going through sort of the normal crypto sales funnel. Not, it's not like, you know, this is crypto, it's going to go up, all that kind of uh, sort of buzzy stuff. They just focused on what people want and the end user experience. Um, and it was very successful. They, they got a huge influx of new users using NFTs without knowing it. Unfortunately, I think Meta culturally is much more oriented towards buzzwords. Um, they're more of a marketing company than anything at this point, including marketing their own features. Um, and uh, so I wonder if uh, they're going to be able to actually cater to users instead of making this a narrative, frankly, ultimately about their stock price, which they're desperate to pump up
1: at this point. I think Will will get the last comment on this one. Yeah, I'll take it from there. I, I am interested to see what happens with these NFT marketplaces because it is a lot of capital and hopefully it doesn't become sunk capital this late into a bear market. We've seen a few different NFT marketplaces pop up. And now we've seen the different places that those NFTs can go live on. And you need both those things, right? You need a place to go buy the NFTs and you need a place to put those NFTs so they have actual utility. I think that the buyers are there. They might not be there as much as they were in 2021, but the buyers are certainly there. We'll just have to see if they can stick the landing from uh, being a user to buying something to landing onto your, on whatever page you want to use. Uh, this is certainly really bullish for adoption of NFTs to have something like Meta enable it. It was big when Twitter did it. But again, it is sort of late in the cycle. So you know, there might not be enough interest to deem this like worthy at this point. But ben, I'll actually give you the last take before we wrap up.
2: Yeah. So I just wanted to say one other thing. I mean, it's interesting. If, if Facebook and the other social network platforms are going to become NFT platforms, then will the NFT platforms become social networks? And I think that's something to watch out for because presumably you need the whole thing in order to be effective going forward.
1: Well, that's a full show for us. We started off layoffs and ended with NFTs and a little of mystery in between. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for joining us today on The Hash. That's Ben Schiller and David Z. Morris. You can catch us again on The Hash tomorrow. I'm Will Foxley. If you liked the show, you might like the podcast version even more. Just plug in those earbuds and listen along with us on the Coindesk Podcast Network. From all of us at Coindesk, thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.